Hungry Trilobite podcast would like to start by acknowledging SoonerCon. The longest-running pop culture con in Oklahoma has a new look, a new mascot, and a fantastic guest list. Join us in Norman, Oklahoma, June 30th through July 2nd, 2023, and meet celebrities such as Billy West, John Scalzi, Erica Harlicker, and John Swayze. Visit SoonerCon.com to reserve your membership. Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today we're swinging back to Pete Doré, and if you've been following the Pete Doré episodes, you'll be familiar with Stan and Jack. We're going to see what he's up to and where the Stan and Jack series is going right now. On tap, we have our buddy Pete Doré back again. How you been, buddy? I'm good, man. I'm good. It's nice to see you. It's nice to be back. Nice seeing you. You have been on my mind a lot lately because I Uh think I mentioned way back when that I've been picking up a lot of the old Jimmy Olsen comics and I've been focusing on the Jack Kirby era. I Mm. made a decision to just focus laser in on those and all the time I'm looking through like this feels like something out of Pete's book. I know where he's getting this from. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember I did. I did listen yesterday to the first time we met, and uh, yeah, you were saying that you'd bought the Olsen where Dark Side first comes out. Um, I, I actually picked up a couple of Jimmys recently, like really cheap. I couldn't believe it. I was like, yeah, I'll have those. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, great stuff. It's a title that flies under the radar. I mean, we all love Jack Kirby, but it seems like there's a couple of projects he's done that nobody thinks of when they think of the quintessential Jack. Yeah, yeah. But it's the weirdest one, isn't it? It's the one where he just went, hey, I'll just do this. How with it? You know, it's, it's a great run. It feels like it's something that, that the DC realized didn't have a lot of legs left in it, but was still selling well enough they didn't want to axe it. And they said, well... If Jack wants to do it, let's just see what he can crank out of for two or three years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the story, I don't know how true it is, but the story is that he said, just give me your worst selling book and I'll make it sell, which I could imagine him doing. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah. But uh, it's your book now that I've really been focusing on because, like I said, I've read uh, a couple more issues of Stan and Jack as you're coming out with them. And what's been tickling me besides the fact that the, the, the great humor you have for creating it, um, and, and just to refresh the audience's memory, this is a book where classic comic creators end up being superheroes in their own right. And they, they actually have to fight the forces of evil using their own professional gifts. And it's, it's gotten to the point now where I'm noticing you're not only picking on the creators and their little quirks and foibles, but you've actually made jokes about the advertisements in old comic books. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a thing on the back of, um, I think, the third one, which which says something like other titles available, and there's things like Creepy Worlds and Uncanny Towers, which is the Alan Class books. I don't know if you know about those. They were a British thing. Um, Sorry. They, they were these really, really cheap reprint books. I mean, they were practically printed on toilet paper and by this guy called Alan Class. And he reprinted Marvel and Thunder Agents and loads of sort of pre-Atlas, pre-Marvel stuff. Um, And you could only ever get them at the seaside and none of us could ever figure that out. But, you know, when we all went on holiday to Great Yarmouth or somewhere like that, there were these Alan Class books and there was nothing else, so you bought them. But it was a way of getting all that other stuff because Thunder Agents never came in and Charlton never really came in. 
So it was just reprints of that. Um, and that that particular ad is an ad that he used every single time, you know, by Creepy Worlds, by Uncanny Tones. Um, there was hundreds of them, and they went on for decades. I was talking with another creator named Zach Howard in a couple of episodes back that, and we just kind of commiserated that back when we were younger, where you got comics was as important as what you were reading because you didn't have as many specialty shops. It wasn't the kind of thing where you, you went in laser focused to get your thing. You went to that corner store, whether it be a convenience store, a gas station, a drug store, and you got what they had, or you went home empty handed. And that's right. Mm-hmm. Was that, right. I assume it's similar in the UK? Yeah, there was no such thing as speciality shops when I was a kid. It was all news agents and, um, yeah, as you say, gas stations and things like that. I mean, again, all of us over here love the Marvel black and whites in the 70s because you could only get them at the seaside as well. You could only get Warrens at the seaside. No idea why. Um, so they became like special, no matter how, whether they were good or bad or indifferent. Um, they, we all have these fond memories of them because you just couldn't get them. Um, I mean, the black and white Planet of the Apes mag, if you go to any sort of mart in, in the UK um, and somebody, you hear somebody go, <gasps> because they found the Planet of the Apes magazine because you just never saw them. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they were special to us. You know. Excuse me. And when... Yeah, you see Stan Lee talking about you know, his usual pattern of, you know, everything is hyperbole, everything is grandiose. And, you know, he talked about his true believers and his Mary Marvel crew. And, uh, you know, there was a lot more truth to that than maybe we gave him credit for. Mm. We've made the effort to find these things. It was in many ways, a club of people who knew it's like, okay, you may have to go to three different stores, but it's worth the trip. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was his, that was his genius. I mean, I know, you know, we all know, and you and I have spoke before about, um, Stan versus Jack, which is, you know, if people ask me, I'll talk about it. But I think in his own way, he was a, he was certainly a promotional genius because I wanted to be part of the gang. My friends did. You know, I've got one of my oldest friends still won't buy DC because he was completely brainwashed by Stan. It's like, you buy Marvel, that's it. Um, so it worked. You know? And if it worked, was it that bad of a thing? I, I, mean- I don't think so. We see the division all the time, getting people together and making them feel included. We're begging yeah. for that now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because it was all, and as you say, because I've put ads and things, and I've, and I've done a letters page um, in the trade called Let's Rap with Stan and Jack. And that's, that's all about that. It's all about that inclusivity. And I read the bullpen bulletins as much as I read the stories and the letters pages. It was it was all part of one thing, and it all made you want to be part of it mm-hmm. and part of the gang. You go back and you read those old letter columns from from that era, and you you gain an appreciation for the fact that these people, without having the the advantage of having wikis and and reference volumes to go through they were like they wanted to make sense of these amazing fantasy worlds and sometimes the only option they had was just to write stan and ask what he thought yeah that's right and and later on you know i was reading i was reading an old issue of defenders yesterday um and it was very obvious that steve gerber was writing the answers he wasn't some anonymous guy and the same if you read like kilrogan or black panther it's don mcgregor answering those, those questions which is fantastic 
that's that's what you wanted. You know? And you could tell it's done because the answers just go on forever and ever. So where is Stan and Jack going from here on out? Because I'm getting the impression that this is not a story that needs to be wrapped up anytime soon. No, I mean, it's kind of the first five issues. Really, you can read the five, the fifth issue on its own. But the first five issues is one story. Um, and I kind of got halfway through the fifth one and thought, I need to end this so that I don't get bored and I can do new stuff, you know. Um, especially as the latest issue, I've got like 12 or 13 characters all flailing about. And I thought, well, I'm not going to do that again. That's crazy because you're trying to fit them all in and give them something interesting to do. Um, so the next one is going to be, as, as you may have seen, is going to be Giant Size Stanton at last, which I've been threatening to do for ages. The stand turns into a swamp monster. Um, but I'm going to do that like House of Mystery or House of Secrets. I'm going to do like four or five short stories to keep me interested apart from anything else and different guest stars in each story. Um, and then after that, I'm going to do a heavy metal issue with Mobius and Drew Yeh and Richard Corbin, who's going to be wandering around naked like them. Um, and then I'm going to do Don Martin's Madhouse because I want to try and draw Stan and Jack like Don Martin would. So I, I'm not short of ideas, but they're all going to be one-offs so that I don't go, oh God, I've got five issues of this to do, you know? Because mm -hmm. uh, I have to keep myself interested as well as everybody else. And you have to bring the changes so that people don't know what to expect. You know, like this time it's going to be four or five stories. Okay, next time it's going to be three stories. It's, uh, you just have to keep yourself and everyone else interested and surprised. Really. And just to be clear, you're a one-man operation. So mm. the story can only be told as fast as you can write and draw it. Yeah, I was talking to Dave Cook, another another creator on Twitter, actually. Yes, a lot of things happened yesterday, weirdly. Um, so I was talking to Dave, and he was saying that what he does, because he does, he, he writes and with various artists, but it still takes him ages as well. And he was saying what he does is he doesn't work his day job on a Friday, so he writes every Friday. What I decided to do with this one, because weeks were going by where I wasn't doing anything and there was just these mountains of blank pages. So what I decided to do was say, okay, every night after work, I will do half a page, no matter how I feel, how bad it is, whatever, I will do half a page. And I will know when I'm going to finish it. And I did finish it maybe like a week over my schedule. So that's what I will do from now on. Because otherwise you just sit there and go, I'm never going to finish this, you know, because as you say, I do, I do it all myself. And that's I mean, one thing that I've had to get into with writers, and I include myself in this and all the bad habits I'm about to confess to. I <laughs> mean, it, it's you you get to a, a phase where you just feel like you're never going to finish it and yeah. you wait for inspiration or you give yourself excuses and life does get in the way. I'm not saying it doesn't. Mm. But if you realize that even adding one more sentence is more than you had an hour ago, if you can get just a little bit more each day, I think half a page is great. If you can hit that, some mm. people have said, well, you need to do it. Just, just pencils, just pencils. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. <laughs> but I mean, just to, to say that um, I've, I've had people say, we well, need to do 2000 words a day. Well, I, I think that's a great goal, but it may not be realistic for some people. And if that means it takes longer to get your work done, 
it still gets done. That's right. Yeah. And I've gone back and, you know, I've done half a page in the next morning and go, oh, that's shit. I'll have to do it again. But that's okay. You know, mm -hmm. at least I've done, at least I know what I did wrong and I know how to fix it. Um, and, and you can't wait for inspiration because it ain't going to just turn up on your door. You've got to sit there and make it happen, unfortunately. Um, I, I mean, I look at it like a game of dominoes. You know, once you think of one thing, that connects to another thing and another thing and another thing and another thing. You know, just, just today, I was like, oh, yeah, I know how I'm going to do Giant Size Stan and Jack. I know how that gag's going to work now. Um, so I'm always like going, yeah, how does that work? How does that connect to that, you know? And let's say, for the sake of argument, you do have half a page and you wake up the next morning, like you just said, and you just don't, it doesn't work. It's it's not for me. I can't, it's, I can't put this out there. When you redo it, it doesn't take as long the next time. You, no. you already feel like you have a head start. Yeah, that's right. Because I know what I did wrong or I know what if that panel looks dull and it doesn't work. That's okay. I now know how to do that. You know, so you learn. I mean, it, it's self-evident, really, but you learn from your mistakes. Um, even one line, even one word is like, yep, yeah, I've done that much today. That's OK. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in note taking and sketching and getting ideas down on paper, even if they're not in concrete form. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because like you said, that gets the connections going at some point, you can just start to say, there's something about the act of getting it out of your brain and onto paper that makes things move. Yeah, and also you can, putting it down makes it work. I mean, again, Dave, when I was talking to him yesterday, he was saying that he walks around the house speaking his dialogue to make sure it has a rhythm and it works. When I do the same thing, I don't do it in Stan's voice, but you know, I do, I do go, okay, does that work? Would Stan say that? Would Jack say that? Um, so th these are all tricks that everybody does. I'm sure everybody does. Them. No, I don't think they do because no. I, I, the people who get it done do. Well, that's what I meant. Yeah, sure. But <laughs> yeah. I've met a lot of people who are just convinced that they have to have it done right the first try. And like, there's literally nobody who's actually been published who will tell you that. Not one. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing about um, you just have to put it, as you say, you have to put it down. And if it's crap, then you change it. Um, and also you have to go, you know, when I first put Stan and Jack out, as, as I think I've said before, I didn't really like my inking. Uh, I think it's better now. I think, you know, it needs improvement, but then that's the job, isn't it? You just keep improving. But you have to put out what you can do at this point mm -hmm. you can't you can't go oh well i'm not frank frazetta yet so i'll wait till i am until i've got something out because you're never going to be so no. about what you can and also you know nobody sees the mistakes that i see you know there's a there's a great there's a great cartel i don't know who did it but i see it online all the time with an artist standing in front of his painting and the public going wow that's amazing and he's going that leg is too short and that head's wrong no one else sees that now just, just do it and put it out we got to lose you know and i can still say going back to stan and jack number one when you're you're looking at this saying well i made these mistakes and i can do better these days and th that may be true but the fact is stan and jack number one is what made me say i like this story i yeah, want to yeah. read more of this I, it, it's so hard to get that that click in the reader that it's like if you do that please pat yourself on the back 
Yeah, well, I, I always look at it like, I always look at Stan and Jack as you and I, or I and the reader are in a pub having a conversation. And I'm going, remember when Stan said this? Remember when this happened? And we're laughing about it. And that's, it's, as you were saying before about Stan's inclusivity, that's what I am for. That's, that's what he inspired in me. And that's what I want that comic to be. I want you to, I want the reader to be with me and me with them. Um, so even if they are originally, you know, I'm not saying the first issue is bad. I don't think it's bad no, no, at no. all. Um, but I, I can do better now. Um, even, even with that, I, I think, okay, I did connect with you. You did laugh at the right bits, <laughs> you know. So... And we've seen that mentality go horribly wrong when, you know, somebody says, hey, I can do Star Wars better 30 years later. It's like, whoa, 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 let's pump the brakes mm. here. <laughs> I mean, that's just, it's an easy example. It's almost a, 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 a pinata of an example, but it's like, no, we, we, think, we like things for a reason. We enjoy yeah. things for a reason. Sometimes you just can't capture lightning in a bottle twice and just keep running with it. Well, why not do your own thing that's, that's mm. like that? You know, how there's a great quote by from Howard Chaykin where he says something like, if you like something, don't just do it again. Figure out why it affected you and write something that affects you and the reader again. Um, I've got no, you know, nobody's asking me, obviously. I've got no interest in, in somebody else's stories, none at all. I mean, I wouldn't mind writing Daredevil, but <laughs> no one's going to ask me, so... I'd, so what are you reading these days? Uh, a lot of indie stuff, really. I, I, I back a fair few things on Kickstarter. Um, there's a thing called The Berg uh, by Fraser Campbell, which looks really good about a fat bird under the sewers that's attacking people. The art looks fantastic. And there's a guy I met at Thought Bubble, Ali Fell, who is amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, he did a thing called The Trick of the Light, which is kind of a... It's kind of a ghost story lesbian romance um, that's very much like the kind of spooky 70s TV shows that we grew up on. And his art is incredible. He's got a new thing out. Look him up. Ali Fell. Everybody look him up because he's just he's amazing. Um, as I say, I met him at Thought Bubble when I was next to another artist whose, whose name I can't remember. But he was the guy who drew Transformers um for marble and i've completely forgotten his name but ali came over and he said hi i'm ali and we both went we hate you because you're so good <laughs> but it, it, honestly look him up because he's just brilliant i'll make sure i get everything in the show notes on my website aaronbossig.com that yeah. way you know because I, I was just when, when i was talking with zach howard we we're talking apparently kickstarter is now like the number one publisher of comics if you factor in all the indies getting pumped out of there, it's as big as the, the bigger brands, which I yeah. find hard to believe. And at the same time, I'm happy for it. Yeah, well, a lot of pros do it as well. I mean, there was this big thing about, uh, still ongoing, this thing, Tales from the Quarantine. I don't know if you're aware of this whole thing. This guy, um, he got, uh, when COVID was on, he got something like 100 cartoonists, including a fair few pros, to contribute stories to this thing and then he ran off with the money and it, it it will never appear so people are just putting their artwork up on twitter and he's going well that's mine i own that and no you don't mate <laughs> and that's that's still ongoing mm -hmm. so kickstarter is a bit 
I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I do caution people, do your due diligence and, and understand the risks. I, I don't ever want to say it's, it's you know, as easy as going to a, a comic shop and swiping your card, but it does give people an, a leg up if, if you yeah. choose wisely. Yeah, I mean, that's a one-off. That is a one-off, to be fair. And Fraser, Fraser and Ali will deliver because they always deliver. Um, it just, it's a shame that that kind of thing puts people off back in other stuff. Um, but I'm kind of lucky, you know, I fund myself. I can afford to fund myself. A lot of people can't. Mm-hmm. And Ed, your, your comic is, it's a highly polished product. I mean, it feels, there's a good weight to it. The, the printing feels sharp. And it's, it's the kind of thing that you, you're glad to go pick up. And because I've seen comics that aren't, I'm not trying to name any names, but it's, um, yeah. Well, that's because I use Rich of Comic Print in UK, who is the tops. Everybody uses him. He's, he's, you always know he's going to do a good job. Um, you know, I, I, I will always use him. Every issue, I'm like, yep, that's exactly what I wanted. So, I'm not familiar with him not being from the UK, so that's something I have to look into now. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's great. He's Like I say, he's on Twitter and he pretends to be a real arsehole, but he's, he's the sweetest <laughs> guy. He comes on and he's like, you're all talentless hacks. I don't know why I work with you. But then when you actually talk to him, he is the nicest guy. And, and you know, as I say, go on. So if you're in the States for, and you're looking for a comic publisher, I've had great experience with Literati Press. Uh, they're, okay. yep, they're in my area yeah. and I, they treat their artists very well the actual print quality is always top notch so um yeah hey it depends on which side of the pond you're on yeah no they're good people as i say that the guy behind towers of the quarantine he he's a one-off he's yeah. an absolute one-off everybody else is fine and as i was saying you know before we started if you go to thought bubble the the big indie con out there everybody genuinely supports everybody else and wants everyone else to do well and we all do completely different comics nobody does mm-hmm. what i do Nobody does what Ali does. Nobody does what Fraser does. Um, One thing, we have to get out of this idea that we're competing with each other as creators. There's this idea mm. that if, if you buy my comic, nobody else will buy it. Or if, if I buy a comic, I'm not going to buy his comic. And that's not really the way it works. People are going to go to these conventions and they're going to load up. They're going to buy comics from five, ten different creators. Mm. You're all in hits together. Yeah, and it is it absolutely is like that over here. It really is. It's a real community. Um, and as I say, nobody does what I do. Nobody does what Ali does. No, you know, everybody does something completely different. Um, so there is again, there is something for everyone. I don't really, you know, I can't remember the last time I bought a Marvel or a DC years ago. I just don't care anymore. There's a degree I feel like I have to keep up, but I'm actually branching out a lot into things from Image and IDW and, like I said, Literary Press and my locals. Mm, yeah. Image, yeah, there's a few things from Image. Um, but I think, as we said before, uh, I, in terms of the superheroes, I, I've already read the best stuff. You know, mm. people, people I'm sure are doing good stuff, and I'm probably being unfair, but... There's plenty of old comics for me to read if I want to read. Yes. I, I've gone, I, I think I said before, I've gone very much into the trades. But what I have found since we've talked last, I, the newer stuff for me benefits from letting it pile up a bit and then picking and choosing from 
what I find more interesting instead of going every month and getting the same issues and yeah. going, you know, if I say, well, out of these, this year, maybe these three issues appeal to me, just grab those three issues. That's yeah. worked pretty well for me. Yeah. I mean, I did like human target was, was I'm not so sure about the story, but the art was monumental. I don't know if you saw that. Um, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow was great. Superman up in the sky was great. So, but I bought them in trades. So like, yeah, I was like, yeah, I just want a self-contained story of these characters that I love and which has fantastic art. Superman seventy-eight. No, I've not tried that yet. I have seen it. Oh yes, that's it, yeah. that. I mean, they've had done a couple of those where they're trying to recapture the continuity of a, of a movie or a TV show, and they they've all worked pretty well. Like mm. Batman '89, big fan of that. Batman '66, big fan. But Superman '78, mm. it's like they just found the magic formula. It really feels like it's Superman Five. <laughs> right, that's great. Yeah, yeah, I should check that out. What's the art like? I, I mean, I have seen it, but I can't place it. You know, it does really. It it does feel like it's Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder on right. paper. Yeah. Right. Right. I'm definitely going to get that then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hate to be, you know, the nostalgia buff, but I am, and that's my comic. So, you know, maybe I should. Somebody once asked or made the point that the best version of your favorite superhero is the one that was published when you were 14 years old. Yeah, completely. And I, I'm a guilty of that. I'm not going to lie. Well, you know, in 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 the trades, in in some of the creator portraits, they do. I do. Uh, I do. There's a portrait of Wally Wood that I did years ago, and I write underneath it something to the effect of "He is why Daredevil is my favorite superhero." Um, and he was the first artist that I went, "Holy cow!" You know, I can't believe somebody human did this. So, yeah, that's absolutely true. And sometimes, I think what I like about these 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 this new wave of DC stuff is that if you admit that the characters work best at a certain time and place let it be a period piece that well, might just be the missing ingredient yeah i mean like like we like i said to you the first time we spoke i really wanted the luke cage show to be set in the 70s mm -hmm. because that's where luke cage belongs as far as i'm concerned that, but that, that's just me uh and to go back to to jack kirby for a minute one of the things that I love about his work, and I, I'm going to say that there's many artists that, that make me feel this way for different reasons. Jack Kirby had a way of capturing what it felt like to be in the future and to see alien technology before we had a really idea of what alien technology would look like. I mean, if, if you were to put an iPhone in front of people in the mid 50s and 60s, they would have just not known what they were seeing. And that same feeling is captured in Jack Kirby's work. Yeah, well, uh, the, that's the mother box, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, he's, again, he's already decades ahead of everybody else. Um, I kind of get speechless when I talk about that stuff, because I don't, it's just, there's just so much of it, and there's so much amazing ideas on every page. Um, yeah, I mean, he was just incredible, absolutely and incredible. And the way he would be able to capture detail in empty space, mm, the way I, it, yeah. And, and you could, I, as an artist could, yeah. Well, I long for that. I long to be able to do that. I'm still learning how to do that. So, 
Um, but yeah, he could do it in spades and he could do it without thinking. You know, it just came naturally to him. Like uh, John Byrne is my go-to if I had to just say that my comic book world takes his shape. I mean, just because he made these incredibly futuristic and, and fantastic cities and, and machines in a time when we didn't have that frame of reference, when we didn't know what these things would look like when they really existed. And yet yeah. it's still believable. It's not like in the 1930s when you it's clearly a cardboard box with a coat hanger sticking out of it no it's like yeah. you, you believe it yeah yeah i'm in awe of people who can do landscape we're well, not landscapes but environments completely imaginary environments i can't do that um that's that's not even something i don't think that i can learn to do i just don't have that mindset i really don't um you know i'm still learning that backgrounds how important backgrounds are i do them because they have to be done and everybody hates doing backgrounds unless you kill them really. um but i'm still learning how they're an important element of the design as well and they can say something about characters so anybody sorry anybody who can create an imaginary city that's off to them have you and i ever talked about bill watterson no Okay. Uh, in case anybody's not familiar, he's the creator of Calvin and Hobbes, a comic strip that was popular for until the mid 90s. It ran for about 10, 12 years. And if you read his notes and his comments on, on how he did things, he was very into the artistry of the comics as a medium. And his backgrounds were gorgeous when mm -hmm. the newspapers would let him do it, because sometimes the time would, but he would do watercolors and and different effects on them and the coloring i don't know if he ever touched a computer he just literally painted his comics no i don't think he did those those spaceman spiff strips which is mm -hmm. difficult to say um that was purely just him wanting to do a sci-fi strip you know it was almost irrelevant what calvin was doing or when he was meeting dinosaurs you know it was just like oh i'm gonna be our williamson this week you know uh, he was another genius. I think, unless, I mean, Charles Schultz is the greatest newspaper strip artist, but I think Watson isn't far behind him. He was, he was, again, he was incredible. And he did it right. You know, he, he went, right, I've done it now. Bye bye. See you later. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely respect that. As much as I miss the comic, I, I think that the fact that he wanted to do X, Y, and Z, and he did it, and then just was content to step away, speaks mm -hmm. to the quality of his work, that it, he really feels like he put everything he had into it, saw the results, and was content. He didn't want the merchandising money. He didn't want the animated specials. He just wanted to do the work. Yeah, and maybe, you know, maybe he thought, well, I've done, I've said everything I wanted to say. I don't, I don't need to do, because, because you can get to a point, obviously, where you just start repeating yourself. Um, mm -hmm. And lots of artists fall into that trap, but he never did. And I like the fact it ends and, it, and it's limited because uh, it's perfect as it is. Because mm -hmm. even it, Peanuts, sorry, even Peanuts mm -hmm. sort of went downhill towards the end. Yeah, and Peanuts, I mean, I like it, but I don't seem to have the connection to it that a lot of my friends seem to have. Right. Uh, people see it as, as a deep and, and, and they understand the, the philosophy Softical intent behind the characters, and I, I see it, but it just doesn't seem to grab me because I, I look at it like these kids are jerks. <laughs> That's what I like. They're just really <laughs> jerks sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but kids are and people are, you know. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I mean, I am Charlie Brown, you know, completely. That is my personality, really, um, with a little bit of peppermint patty, I suppose. So I don't know. I mean, I it's it's imprinting, isn't it? I mean, I don't even remember when I first read Peter, so I must have been five or six. So it's such a such a huge part of my childhood. Um, because there were those those little paperback collections. Again, like we were saying, sometimes you'd go somewhere in England and all there was was Peanuts books. So you bought them. Um, so it is, uh, it's a huge, huge strip for me. And see, so now you're making that connection that I was referencing. You you feel yourself in, in Charlie and to an extent Peppermint Patty. And, and you see that. And I, I guess I just never felt that click. Oh, that's fair enough. I mean, there, there are strips that I don't. I don't feel that people rave about or characters. I mean, I don't, um, I'm not particularly a big John Wick fan. Okay. I, I'm like, I'm like, it's okay. You know, everybody loves Keanu. Um, but to me, I'm like, yeah, it's okay. I don't really see the fuss. So some, I, some things don't connect, you know? No, I, I hesitate to say this because it's a much different experience now, but the first decade or so of Garfield, I was a huge fan of when he was still experimenting when the plot would still go here there and everywhere and the, the idea of capturing just the, the manic uh feeling of what it was like to just try to get inside this cat's head that was a lot of fun for me and i'm if the comic is not anything now i'm, I'm just i haven't read it in 20 years i got tired of it 25 mm-hmm. years before that but at the time the, the it was a lot of it was something that i found very very fun See, I've never read a lot of Garfield. I think I've probably read the later stuff and just gone. Yeah. Uh, it's... Uh, I mean, Garfield without Garfield is a great strip. Yes. That is, that, that's genius. That, that's a surreal experiment <laughs> and it just works on so many levels. And, and I guess, and I'm just thinking of this now, that's a little bit of the charm that I was seeing back in the day as that you just didn't know what would happen and sometimes the comics would take a very slightly twisted tone mm. and that's that's what i miss yeah i'm not, I mean, I'm not sure if... that's what i was saying before you have to surprise people don't you? Mm-hmm. the worst thing is some is you know there are strips like funky winker bean that mm-hmm. just go on and on and on for decades to say it's still the same thing it's still going on and no one cares you know you're not surprising me you should never give the readers in a way you should never give the readers what they want no you should, you should give them what you yeah. want mm-hmm. um i mean i don't i don't write my stuff for anybody except me if i'm honest um but i just hope it it will connect and it does seem to well there's so many people out there that if you put your work in front of enough people, provided you put everything you had into it, somebody's going to connect with it. That's my theory. And I think that's true for everyone. Yeah. And I would say to people, like I said before, you know, just put your stuff out. You never know. I didn't know this was going to sell. I had no idea. I thought, there, you know, maybe there's a couple of old kids like me who might like it. But, you know, I, I was, the best thing that happened is, is again, at Thought Bubble and the Connor Harrogate, so many kids came up to me and said, oh, I love Jack Kirby. I didn't say I love Stan, which is what I expected. I, I love Jack Kirby, which is fantastic, isn't it? It is, because it shows those kids are starting to be interested in the history of their medium. Mm. Stan, you can learn about by watching Marvel movies. Jack, exactly. You have to 
want to go on Wikipedia or flip through the old archives or, or do you have to put in the legwork to know about Jack, much less Steve Gitko or any of the people that, you know, populate your books? Yeah. Yeah. There was even a couple of I love Gil Kane, you mm -hmm. know, I was like, great. What have you read? You know, what, what do you like? You know, so that that that's really heartening, not, you know, not just for me, but for their memory. You know? Yeah, as we see comics transition into a much more, I mean, it's always been commercial, but at this point, it's commercial to the extent of Hollywood movies and video games. That's something that's very new to you and me, but it is the world of the kids that are growing up now. Yeah, yeah. But isn't it great that they're obviously also going, oh, I'm going to get this trade. Oh, it's Jack Kirby. I'm going to get that. You know, what's that about? Um, that's fantastic. I was really, really happy about that as well as selling the book obviously sure and as much as people like you and i can complain about the way things are now and we do and that's cool we're entitled but you can look at this and say these kids have the option to get in some form or another almost a century's worth of comics at their disposal yeah. if they choose yeah. to read it yeah I'm, I'm i'm a huge preservationist i've preservation above all else is important and that so. is great for them yeah me too you can get anything you can get mm -hmm. absolutely anything now I mean, I bought, um, as a trade, Chilling Towers of Sorcery, which is a mystery, like a house of mystery thing that Gray Morrow did for Archie, which is about the most obscure thing ever. There's a trade of it. So I bought it, yeah. I had on a gent who was restoring the Micronauts comics from the 70s and probably okay. early 80s. Yeah, and he just bought them up, ran it through his computer, scrubbed them up, beautiful work. I mean, absolute top-notch work. He did it just to do it Th yeah. for no other reason. Yeah. That this I, was... if you, if you, the guy, his name is Jose Villa, I'm going to pronounce his surname wrong, Jose Villa Guerra, he's a colorist, and he's recoloring Corbin's Neverwhere and then he's going to do all the damn books. And again, he's on Twitter and he shows you Corbin's pages, which I've obviously got the original trades from years, and what he's coloured them as to make it more like Corbin's original art. And that, blimey, it looks incredible. So, you know, everyone's going to buy that. When it comes out. That's, that's incredible work because, I mean, it, for people who aren't familiar with art preservation, it's like, because, number one, we have the issue that when you scan something and you see it on your screen versus printing it, there's subtle color differences between the original document and what's on your screen and what gets reprinted. And then you factor in that the paper is going to have yellowed, the dyes and the inks themselves will have faded. The mm. technology to make the ink from back then may not exist anymore or may not be affordable. There are so many subtle differences and, and complications when it comes to coloring. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw something a while ago about Every once in a while, you go on eBay and you see Gil Kane's sketches for sale, like loads of them, loads of practice stuff that he did. They're all fading. They're all just going to vanish unless somebody scans them in. I hope somebody is. Wow. And on one hand, I'm glad there's enough interest that people are buying them and grabbing them, but I hope they have the heart to get them properly mounted, preserved, and, yeah. and archived if at all possible. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think they are now. Like I say, if they, if there's there's obviously enough um, readers who are going to buy the new 
the new reprints of the Corbin stuff and some of those. So again, because kids can get anything, they want everything, and all of this stuff will be preserved. You know, I mean, I was, I was, again, I was writing about Jean Day recently, um, who seemed to have been forgotten over the last few years, but the Shang Chi stuff is now back in print, which is brilliant. So I hope kids discover Jean Day because he was bloody amazing. And he was like Steranko crossed with Eisner. He was, <laughs> he, he was that good, you know? Um, so nobody, these days, nobody gets forgotten. Well, I hope your book doesn't get forgotten either. I hope that we oh, get so more people I. on that. So do I. <laughs> because no, it's, it's a very, yeah. Yeah, no, it seems to be doing all right. I mean, you know, I sell every issue. You know, I sell them at cons, I sell them in the post, so, and people are always like, what's the next one about? When's the next one coming out? So, yeah, thank God, people are interested in it, not just me and a couple of old kids. Are you going to move to the, the trade paperback and just start selling installments of that at cons? Well, I've got the trade of the first five issues with lots of extra stuff. Um, I mean, if, to be honest, Aaron, if I didn't have a day job, yes, I would do that. Mm -hmm. But the way I look at it now is like, like I say, I did the fifth issue over three months. So theoretically, I could do four issues a year. In reality, that's probably not going to happen. It's probably going to be three. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll try the issues for now, I think. But then, you know, you have that thing where, you, where you're at a con and there is, the, this is not even me making this up. There, there is this guy who turns up every year at the I think he does it to everyone. Um, and he turned up and he went, oh, this looks good. And then he opened one of the issues and he went, oh, it's in black and white. Are you going to do it? <laughs> and I went, no, no. Oh, no. And then he said, and it goes on, right? And mm -hmm. then he said, then he said, uh, is it one complete story? And I hadn't finished number five at that point. I said, it will be once I finish the fifth one. I'll come back when you've done the fifth one. So I know he will come back this year and go, have you got a trade? And I go, yes, I've got a fucking trade, buy it. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll go, he'll go, is it in colour? No, it's not in colour, <laughs> <laughs> But I'm sure he does that to everyone. <laughs> I, 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 maybe I should... One of the few times I got to see Stan in person was at a convention where he was actually introducing Kevin Smith. And uh, they had talked about the time working together on Mallrats. And yeah. uh, he gave him such grief because he said that, you know, I saw your first movie and it wasn't any, I mean, it was all right. But, you know, I could tell you were just getting started out. But the movie I was in, well, let's just say at least it was in color. <laughs> that's so Stan, isn't it? Exactly. I was I was the best bit in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it really was. It, it it was. He had a presence. I mean, you enjoyed watching him on screen, but if you had the chance to see him in person, it really was a treat. Yeah, I and, and you were glad he was representing our our hobby as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, since since he's been gone, who do we have? We don't really have anyone like that, mm. do we? Um, I could think of some names, but it, it might be controversial. Go on. Gail Simone. Yeah, 
yeah, go. Yeah. Maybe not necessarily for the same stage presence per se, but the fact that she can rile up a crowd the way she does, yeah. major respect. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, I can't. I mean, yeah, as you say, everybody else is kind of problematic, but, you know, everybody knows it from, like you said, from the movies, everyone knows Stan. Uh, all my friends are like, oh, Stan's great, isn't he? Well, yeah, he is, but there were some other guys. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, as much as I have such respect for Jack, I'm just not sure he could have pulled off the razzle-dazzle the way Stan did. Nor no, did he, he even want to. No, he couldn't. He couldn't. I mean, as I'm sure you have, I've watched interviews with him. And because he was a genius, you couldn't understand him what he was saying because his mind was three steps ahead. Um, and he uh, and it was almost like he struggled to get all the ideas out because there were so many of them. I mean, I genuinely have watched interviews with him and gone, what are you actually saying? Really don't understand what you're saying. Um, but as you know, I don't I don't have him talk like he talk. Um, but he was, he was, he was three, four, seven steps ahead of everybody else. And in fact, seven steps ahead of himself. Mm -hmm. So no, he, he couldn't have done that. And as you say, he didn't want to. No, and he's missed. And the industry is still trying to find its way around, like you said, finding another stand. Well, there won't, I, there won't be anyone with it. I mean, who could possibly replace them? Um, because the world's different as well. Um, no, I, I don't think so. Because, and also there's, as we've said before, because of social media, there is so much opinion and there's so much bullshit and there's so much. I mean, can you imagine if either of them were on Twitter at the moment, the grief they would get mm -hmm. um, if Ditko was on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> it just, you know, it's, in, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. I mean, I'm lucky. I don't get any of it. Twitter doesn't work. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I don't, even at cons, I don't. I don't get it. I mean, I, I do get people, as I say, come up and say, uh, "What do you think about Stan versus Jack?" And I tell them that it doesn't really matter because um, we all know, you all know, Jack did ninety percent. So and if we were to talk. To yeah, if we were to sit here and talk about how, you know, Stan and Jack fought and, and squabbled and didn't see eye to eye, we'd be right. But at the end of the day, they both wanted to put out that comic. That was key for both of them. That's the it's, important thing. Yeah. yeah. When those yeah. issues hit the newsstand, I'm sure they both felt like the job was done. Yeah, yeah. I remember somebody saying to me on, on social media once years ago, Stan ruined my childhood. No, he didn't. He entertained you. What are you talking about? That's just nonsense, isn't it? Um, get over it. it. Because firstly, they're both dead. Secondly, uh -huh. it, it didn't affect you personally. You were entertained like, like, like I was, so shut up. Comments like that tend to come from a place of, I found this story I liked, and I, found, I liked it in a certain way, and then they started telling the stories in a different way, that I didn't like anymore. And that's okay. You don't have yeah. to like every story just because you like the first one. Nobody ever said that was going to be the case. No. no, go and buy something else. It's yeah. it's a, it's a consumer item at the end of the day. If you don't like 
you know, I don't understand those people. And God bless him, a friend of mine does do it. But he he has bought every Spidey. Is I think he's got as far back as about number 20 up to now. And he will regularly go, oh, Spidey's shit. It's been shit for two years. Then why are you buying it? What on earth are you doing? <laughs> I don't get it. And it, it's like, oh, when another writer comes in, it'll be good again. Okay, we'll buy it then. Mm-hmm. Like um, I s- said earlier, you can look at a whole year's worth and pick out the stuff that you really do find interesting. You're allowed to do that. It's mm, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not precious about any of it. You know, like, like I say, I bought, bought Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow because I love Supergirl and the art looks interesting. It was really good. It was like, it was like heavy metal had done Supergirl. Um, mm-hmm. Which is which is a great idea, uh, without the tits, obviously. Um, yeah, so buy buy whatever's interesting. And if you don't like it, don't buy it. Yeah, certainly don't buy it again. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> okay, well, Pete, you and I have a lot to be reading. We have a lot to be not buying, and we'll have to have that drink together sometime. Not just we yet, but will. where can people follow the rest of your adventures on the web? Well, as as I've said, I'm on Twitter for as long as it works. Uh, I'm on Instagram for as long as it works. So um, it's it's Pete, as I said before, it's Pete Dory, not like the fish, D-O-R-E-E. Uh, and you can buy Stan and Jack at PeteDory.BigCartel.com. I'm also, as I said before, I'm also at Thought Bubble this year. I'm also at the Lakes Con this year and hopefully at nice con in bedford so come and see me come and see me. i'm going to link to everything you just mentioned as well as the previous two episodes you've been on in the show notes cool. so pete you are welcome back anytime you want anytime you want me on i'm here <laughs> I would like to thank Pete for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. I originally brought Pete Doré onto the show way back when because I found the concept of a Stan and Jack comic to be really, really fun. This is the kind of thing I want to see fans doing and the kind of comic project that I want to see get off the ground. And now I'm going to flip the conversation over to you, the audience, the person listening right now. I want to know what kind of projects you want to see happen, whether it's a project that you personally want to do or you want to see somebody else do. Reach out to me by email at bossigpodcasts at yahoo.com, or you can follow me at Aaron Bossig on Twitter or Instagram. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.